So who did it? Was it the Amazon delivery guy or was it UPS? So it was the Amazon delivery guy. But the thing about it is that, you know how the Amazon logo, there's a smirk? Yeah. So that when I saw it, I saw the smirk. Insulting. It was insulting. That was personal. That was personal. When I saw it, I felt exactly what you felt. Not just you, but I also felt what what the dog felt. Mm. How dare they? How dare they? Deliver my package in a timely fashion at my door as I instructed. And then to give me a smile. How dare they do that? And you know what else Amazon can do? They can take their prime delivery and they can shove it. You're missing a, a, a major detail. What was, was that the detail? The house had just been painted, mm-hmm. and that there was a huge sign on the stairs that said "Wet Paint," and they had instructions because I knew the guy was coming. Mm-hmm. Wet Paint, and to leave the package at the stairs. But he went. Not only did he deliver it, he also took a picture because you know that's what they do to yeah. show that they delivered it. C- customer service. <laughs> what were they thinking? Crazy. I- he saw that sign. He saw the sign. The dog was like, bruh, do you see the sign? So you used a word that's kind of questionable. You said huge sign. It was huge. It was right in the middle of the steps. Oh, so, so huge and positioning you're equating to be the same? Mm-hmm. So it was huge because it was in the middle of the stairs. It was huge. Not so much the size of the paper. It was huge and it was well positioned. It was well positioned. Okay. Amazon. Customer service. What are people thinking? It was the the delivery man. All day. Listen, if you're just joining, I am elated to speak with one of my great friends, the Dr. Tara Taylor. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Small Talk Big Names podcast with your host, Niger. The show where I introduce you to big names, big ideas, and big lessons in the amount of time it will take you to get through Atlanta traffic. Guests will share with us their detours in life and decisions to follow roads less traveled. So if you have a moment, let's get into some small talk. What are you currently reading? I was reading students' finals. (laughs) Um, Unapologetic um, is the most recent book that I'm reading, and it's looking at, um, I believe, transformative justice and um, feminist and black queer um, social movements and activism. All right, let's get started. So, So, Tara, I'm so excited that you're here. Do you prefer that I call you Tara or... Dr. Taylor. I prefer that you call me Tara. I appreciate that. Um, We've known each other for a while. Forever. I feel like it's been like at least 20 years. Yes. Since I've been in Atlanta. So that's forever. That's forever. Yes. Well, it's it's been an absolute pleasure to to know you, whatever that means. Whatever that means. But likewise. Yeah. So so introduce yourself to the audience. Just, you know, imagine a lot of people won't know you. Right. Which is which I think is great. Uh Um, Some people will know you, but they may not know enough about you. And then there are going to be others that are that are responding in the same way and kind of finishing your sentences. So who are you? Um, That's a great question. Who am I? Um, I think I I often think of myself more so as um, a friend, a sister to other people. But I, I have these titles. I have these roles in life. 
Um, so, you know, I've been the owner of the Nappy Parlor Natural Hair Salon. Um, I've been a graduate student. Um, now I have a PhD, so now I'm a doctor. I'm a professor. I'm a sociologist. Um, I'm a caretaker. Um, yeah, I'm a person who is an adventurous. I'm a person that believes in um, preserving people's humanity. Um, I'm a jokester. I'm funny. You know, um, some of my friends think I'm a jerk because <laughs> my sense of Super humor. jerk. <laughs> but um, recently I've been described as a love bug. And I think that's so funny because um, I think of um, at the core of everything I do, there is love. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So where are you from? I'm originally from, originally from Berkeley, California. Berkeley, California. And you grew up in Berkeley, mm-hmm. right? In the Bay Area. In the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what was your earliest, I know you get that a lot, right? Like what was your earliest childhood in, in the Bay Area? So like my experiences or things that I remember or it's, it's really, really interesting because um, now as an adult, I start to really understand how unique my experiences in Berkeley and the Bay Area um, were. Um, particularly some of the things that I take for granted with regards to maybe um, cultural pluralism in terms of like having different friends from different backgrounds, um, having a family that is very multicultural. Um, You know, growing up in the Bay Area as opposed to in Atlanta, you know, the Bay Area, you have the Black Panthers, you Mm -hmm. know, you have anti-Vietnam, you know, you have Berkeley, which is renowned for protesting. Like we protested in junior high school, high school, right? Atlanta, you have the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And so it's not until you you are displaced from that, that you start to understand the impact upon, you know, your experiences. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the things that I now reflect upon are just, you know, navigating the Bay Area, but also um, having friends and family members who are from various different cultural backgrounds. And so I think that's one of the earlier memories. I mean, my family is multicultural, you know, Um, and so it's something that does kind of inform your perspective about Mm -hmm. the world, especially when it comes to like, you know, people's humanity Mm -hmm. and this idea of humanity for all people. Hmm. Okay. Go to school Mm -hmm. in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And why not just say Berkeley? Were you? So the reason why I make a distinction, so I, I, I do recognize like there are formative years. I went to Berkeley High School. I went to um, middle school, junior high school in Berkeley, and that's very informative of my perspectives. But I've lived in other parts of the Bay Area okay. that are also informative. So like sure. living in East Palo Alto, I've lived in Oakland. Um, and so, you know, kind of like Atlanta, um, there, well, so kind of like Atlanta, um, you know, we have all these cities that are connecting, right? Yeah. So unlike where people might be from, let's say, Hapeville, and they're like, I'm from Atlanta, um, being from East Palo Alto or being from Oakland is distinctive. So when, so saying the Bay Area basically allows me to say, you know, I've lived around all these parts. Like you wouldn't live in Finings and say you're from Smyrna. No. Yeah. But you could live in, you could live in East Point and say you're from Atlanta. Yeah, but we don't do that in Berkeley. Yeah. We wouldn't do that in the Bay Area. Like Y'all you, got mm-hmm. rules. Yeah. 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 Got it. You had an interesting grandfather. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about him. Okay. So my grandfather is, um, my grandfather was from Orange, Texas. Um, he was a longshoreman. He was a union man, but he was very much very Afrocentric, Pan-African, Pan-African. Um, so I grew up where <laughs> everything in my house was pro-black. Like, um, you know, we didn't have 
white things. <laughs> like like you didn't, did you have white sugar? We didn't have white sugar. We had brown sugar. We had wheat bread. We had oatmeal. We had brown rice. <laughs> you know, um, we listened to Gil Scott Heron. We had tapes of um, Malcolm X's speeches. And to say the least, somebody went to a hell of a lot of trouble to make sure that when we looked things up, we wouldn't fare too well. And we would come up with totally um, unreliable You know, there were books. I had so many. But you know, I, I had uh, Dick Gregory's I I mean, Nigger, his, his autobiography. I mean, I grew up just being very much exposed to um, kind of black consciousness. You know, plant, we grew up celebrating Kwanzaa and playing black history board games, you know. And um, that definitely had the the most huge impact upon me. You know, my, my mother and my grandmother, too, because they're from New Orleans and very strong women, but my grandfather definitely shaped my political yeah. perspectives and and gave me a sense of confidence um, with regards to doing what's right. He would always say, it's not who's right, it's what's right, you know, and that always mm-hmm. stays with me. It's not yeah. who's right, it's what's right. What's right, yeah. That's, Wow. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Because it changes kind of how you are receiving what's being said, right? Like it changes your role as an audience member. Okay, so so I thought it was funny that you brought up the sugar because that's exactly where I was going with Uh the sugar and the wheat bread and all that, which I think is great. Um, Did y'all have lemonade or sweet tea? Ah, we had brown sugar lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) And and like sun tea, right? Like you would do sun tea? Yeah, but we called it brown sugar lemonade, but basically it's kind of similar to what people do now, which is sun tea, which is like, you know, letting the lemons kind of... um, uh, I guess what is it? Marinade, sit out, sit out, yeah. sun, but but we sh- we sweetened our tea with brown sugar. Yeah. yeah. So so where was your grandmother from? Was she from Orange as well? No, she was from New Orleans. She and my That's mother right. are yes, both yes. from New Orleans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, high school was amazing. Yeah. Um, so one, I first have to acknowledge um, um, Richard D. Navies, my mentor, Ashe, rest in peace. He was the head of the African Studies Department at Berkeley High. So I always make a big deal that, um, you know, my high school was one of the few public high schools that had an entire African Studies Department, yeah. you know. And so that that in and of itself was something that we were proud of, but it was always something that we were fighting to protect. But, I mean, coming in as a freshman, I was taking African-American history, African-American literature. And, and interesting enough, many of the books that we were using in high school would be some of the same books that I used when I was taking a similar courses at Howard in college. Well, so you were already ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, just, you know, we had the literature, we had African-Haitian dance, we had um, Kiswahili, we had black male-female relationships, we had a speech class, we had the um, the newspaper. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a full-on department. Full-fledged, almost similar to what you would have at your larger state, I'm University, colleges and universities. Exactly. Yeah. And you had that in high school. So, I mean, that That's definitely, major. it was very major. And and interesting enough, because um, there were several people close to my family that was trying to get me to go to different schools. Mm-hmm. A good friend wanted me to go to Skyline High School in Oakland. I think Tom Cruise went, not Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks went there. Did he go to Skyline? I think he did. Um, but so there are these other schools that, you know, were a little bit more pers- considered prestigious but I'm like Berkeley High is it's was renowned for the studies department African studies department um the diversity um you know some other types of freedoms and I'm so glad that I went there yeah yeah so um yeah so Berkeley High definitely helped me um in terms of shaping my political perspectives my pro-black perspectives but also um just kind of my ideas about 
diversity in and of itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So so we graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you have to decide where to go to school. You're on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. There aren't many HBCUs. I don't think there are any on the West Coast, right? Yeah, not that I know of. Yeah. Um, do you know the story behind that? No, I don't. No. I don't either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was like a Mason-Dixon thing. Yeah, I should, but I don't. Yeah. So, so, so you have options. So the thing is, my family is from the South. So, you know, many, I was familiar with certain HBCUs. I was familiar with Southern, Dillard, Grandpa went to Gramlin, right? Familiar with Xavier, you know, those type of, you know, schools. Mm -hmm. But um, my grandfather, when I was in the fifth grade, he went to D.C. for, I think it was like the Black Caucus Convention. And he brought me back this sweater and it was this bright pink, hot pink sweater, and it had the Howard um, emblem logo on it, the emblem, and like this puffy, this is like the, it had to have been the 80s, 80s, yeah, and it had this like puffy material, and he was like, you know, Howard University is a black college, because I was like, and it's interesting now that I think about it, I'm like, I was like, Harvard? He was like, no, Howard. I'm like, why did I even know about Harvard when I was, <laughs> you know, I was in the fifth grade? Um, and I was obsessed, and I was like, I'm going to go to Howard one day. And, you know, I wore this sweater all the time. Fast forward, I completely forgot about this sweater. My mm-hmm. grandfather brought it up when I graduated from from Howard. I was like, wait, what? He's like, baby, don't you remember the sweater? And, the, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I do. But I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, you think about we also had a different world. We had Spike Lee's. Um, what was it? Do the right? No, no, it wasn't that. It was um, what was the um, school days, right? So one, I had the exposure in terms of knowing about HBCUs from my family. Um, being from California, definitely was familiar with UC Berkeley and the California UCLA those schools. Um, but definitely, my grooming was that I wanted to attend an HBCU. I also had some friends who, you know, we were going through our very, you know, pro-black stage, so we were all looking at H- HBC. Some of us were looking at HBCUs. Um, also, I knew that I was studying business, and um, you know, Howard was just renowned as you know one of the top tier universities, and so it was just really interesting that I had this logistic. Oh, you know, Howard's the best place for a business and all this stuff. And then Grandpa's like, "Do you remember that sweater?" And I'm like, "Oh, a seed and I was you, planted." So you thought you figured it out all on your own the whole time, yeah. and then he was like, "Show me the bubble so I can pop it." <laughs> I think it's just it's. I don't know if he meant to pop it as much as. It was just a moment that you forget about, and you know he had the insight to remember. Yeah, and it was just like, oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, sweet. Did you apply anywhere else? Let me ask. I did. I did. I got into Dillard. I got into Xavier. I don't even know if I applied to any California schools, even for like backup. I was just like, I'm out. So yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much got into. I mean, this is. Eons ago. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got into everywhere that I applied. Okay. And H- Howard was my first choice. Howard was your first choice. You mm-hmm. got into Har- Howard, mm-hmm. not Harvard. Yes. And you moved to D.C.? Yep. I moved to D.C. Freshman year was 92, 93. Before we get into that, let's take a short break. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to do this. It'll be great. I'll be scared. Just think how glad you'll be when you're all done and maybe we'll all go to McDonald's. I'll be glad when I'm done. I'll be glad when I'm done. I'll be... <sighs> Think McDonald's. Oh, I wish I were already there instead of here playing this song. Oh, I would have a big chocolate shake, a cheeseburger, and also, whoops, and also fries. And I would eat my fries myself and not give any to my dumb brother. Hands off and mine off. <laughs> 
Hope on my recital is almost done. It wasn't bad, I'm still alive. And now I can have my chocolate shake, my cheeseburger, and also whoops and also fries. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Dr. Tara Taylor, sociologist, professor, and proprietor of the Nappy Parlor, a natural hair care salon in Atlanta's Western District. So welcome back. So um, I, I went to Howard. Um, I got on the plane by myself, and my grandfather had some, some friends that met me, and they got me to my, ho to my dorm. And I pretty much had to navigate you know, the registration, the whole process on my own. And it was really interesting. I didn't think anything about it, yeah. but it was really interesting when some of my high school friends and other people, their parents were there, you know, doing their immunization and all these different things. And I had, my grandfather had raised me to be very independent. And mm -hmm. I, I was probably far more independent than many of my friends. I didn't have a curfew when I was in high school, but that was strategic because I was the only one that was driving and I usually had to drop everyone off. And so my curfew began once I dropped everyone yeah. else off, right? But likewise, going to Howard, I realized that I was doing a lot of things on my own. So when I said, you know, go, I remember how beautiful being on the campus was the first time. Like, I remember how the leaves looked. I looked the the sunlight. I remember the gates. I remember the campus was beautiful. Some of the things that I was a little disappointed in, <laughs> and it's so funny because now I'm a professor as well, was that I could tell many of my um, fellow freshman class schoolmates hadn't had freedom before and they were losing their minds. They were going crazy. They were going crazy. Yeah. And I hadn't like, had freedom before. Is that how you put that? <laughs> so I was expecting I'm going <laughs> in a freedom child. <laughs> they was they was losing their minds. <laughs> I was like, oh you oh okay. you still doing that? Okay. <laughs> gotcha. And, and and it was interesting. I mean like you literally saw girls, their parents are dropping them off. As soon as mom and dad leave, they they put on their hot pants change and they change on their clothes, you know, all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh okay, that's what we're doing. Um but interesting enough, um like I had this idea that college university were all these masterminds, these people are coming to learn and just yeah this brilliant experience. And of course, you know, Howard has the reputation of being a party school, right? Um, and that wasn't missed on me, but it wasn't like the thing that I needed, you yeah. know? And so there was some moments of disappointment where people, you know, the freshman class, folks were more interested in, you know, chasing boys and doing all this stuff. Um, and we weren't having these deep intellectual talks that I thought oh, that you prepared all your life for. I prepared my whole life for, right? At the same time, I got it into, you know, went yeah. to some parties. I was, you know, at house there dancing and stuff. Um, so what happened was my freshman year, I ran into some financial difficulties, didn't have enough fine, you know, money to come back. And then I was just... There's a part of me that was just kind of disillusioned. That was just like, I don't, I want to go back home. I want to be with my friends, the people who I left home who were like-minded. And so I ended up work, going back to California. Um, I ended up working and, you know, trying to just navigate this other life. And eventually I realized that I was completely off track because I was working full time, had an apartment, you know, taking classes at the local colleges, um, and I wasn't fulfilled. And so I ended up reapplying to Howard, and I was like, I'll just take out loans. And um, I returned spring of 1996 to Howard, and that technically spring was the semester I would have graduated. So my many of the people I had, had my freshman year with, they were there. And so many people were, like, happy to see me back, or some of the friends who I'd actually gone to um, – 
high school with who were at also at Howard. They were just amazed. And I, and I understand now, you know, a lot of people, when they leave, they don't return. You don't often have that story of someone returning. Um, and so I actually ended up graduating from Howard um, class of 2000 as opposed to class of 1996. And the interesting thing is when I did come back to Howard 1996, um, I ran into an organization, Ubiquity, which is a, a Afrocentric organization, uh, became a member of that and got the thing that I felt was missing yeah. my freshman year. Yeah. You know, so I found those like-minded people. I found that purpose. Yeah. Um, and, you know, had the Howard experience that I, I wanted to have. So yeah. I'm grateful for that. Was Ubiquity on campus in 94? I'm sorry, 92? And you just weren't aware of them? Or were they fairly new in 96? So you know what's so interesting is that Ubiquity was started in 1973. Okay. Yeah. And so it could have also been that maybe... They might have been small. I got to find out who mm-hmm. I, I can actually look at our history to see if they had a trial period or who was on trial, you know, yeah. like if, who came through. So they could have been in the just I just missed it. Yeah, you know, I just didn't you know, wasn't aware of it. But there was another pro-black organization that I did go to an interest meeting, a couple of interest meetings. Um, and there were some elements of it where I felt like people were a little self-righteous. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Don't you think it's interesting that there are pro-black organizations at HBCUs? Yes. <laughs> That is hilarious, right? And it's I, like an, an, another comma, yes. right? It's a, it doesn't, where's the period? Every, so to your point, when you're asking me about the cognitive pluralism, that is exactly yeah. what that is, yeah. you know? Um, if we were to just focus on that, are you, so when you hear me say that, do you see it as, because I see it this way, I'm, I'm receiving it as another, another level, another layer mm-hmm. to, to kind of separate, right? I, so I think that's problematic because I don't I don't like the idea of the separating yeah. as much as the idea of like us being a kaleidoscope in like these different sure space you know this geometric kind of geometric spaces um, we're it's impossible for us to occupy all of the layers and expressions right you know I have friends who are rockers and they're you know black you know black punk you know and we both like music but we like certain types of music yeah and we might not you know we also can learn and grow from each other type of way. But yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to think about it as separatism. Sure. Yeah. But, but I can see how some people might. Well, okay. So maybe separate is the wrong word. Maybe it's, it's the, with the additional levels, with the additional layers, it gives mm-hmm. us space. Yeah. It, it dimensionalizes us as well. Because I think the other thing too. Because then it's hard to put you in a box, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, so when you asked me earlier too about like black solidarity, I think one of the things too is like, this idea of allowing us this freedom to be. And so oftentimes um, we're trying to kind of corral our interests and our power together that we also end up limiting ourselves, right? You know? Yeah, I guess it's like if you're giving a speech and you start naming names to thank people, you're bound to forget someone. It's the exact same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I went to Clark Atlanta University and um, we had a group, I don't know the name, Uh because I just wasn't a part. Yeah, but the the slang name for the group was tree huggers. Yes, ubiquity was we were called tree huggers. But the so maybe it's the same reason. But they would do not they the group would congregate around this tree that's been in the AUC for ages, and they and they would um they it would it would be it would they they I don't want to say a ritual but they it you know there was a there was an agenda. Let me say that. It wasn't just we're going to show up and figure out what we're going to do. Like, there were plans for the day. And it usually happened around this tree, which I always thought was just an interesting thing to watch unfold. 
So we likewise ubiquity. We have a tree, and but it's no different than how the omegas or the uh, the alphas Absolutely, or the kappas. Yeah. They have you know their bench or their part mm-hmm. of the yard, and they come and they meet. Mm-hmm. So likewise, we we had a tree, and what part of it is also like the idea of tree, tree of life, and congregating and. Um, in, in some of these, you know, I don't know what organization was on Clark Atlanta because we didn't have a chapter there, but there's also the ways in which um, there's symbolism mm-hmm. behind different things. Absolutely. And, and intentionality. So, but so what you describe is very similar to, yeah. you know, ubiquity at Howard and people probably refer to us tree huggers. They, you know, see us meet at the tree mm-hmm. and, um, you know, hang out at the tree or maybe have other engagements at the tree. Yeah. Yeah. I just wasn't aware of it. So for me, it was more of a um, performance as mm. opposed to, no, it's, I, I, I'm, I, I'm trying to avoid saying ritual because I, whatever's associated with the term ritual, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get away from that. Gotcha. If someone sees ritual in like witchcraft or something. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, ritual so it was, it was more like an organized gathering, but because I had no idea, I was just kind of like, oh, the tree people are back together. The tree ears are back together. Yeah. yeah. But I had a lot of respect because there was um, this idea of oneness yeah. that existed among all of, all of the members. Yeah. Right? Um, and they were all great. So. Yeah. So you've completed Howard uh-huh. in 2000. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? What happens next? So I was school of business and I knew that I had interest in the social sciences. So one of the things too, let me back up. Growing up in Berkeley, I was very much groomed to be in um, math, engineering, and the science. I was in programs Mm -hmm. like UCO Mesa, which were, they were very um, deliberate about grooming black and brown children for math, engineering, and science because there was this idea that we weren't represented Mm -hmm. in those fields. And so, you know, I'm, I, I, I like math. Mm-hmm. I was good at math. Um, and interesting enough, I didn't like engineering as much. You know, I okay. did the NESPY and all that. Just, you know, and, and, and interesting, it's, um, I'm a, I feel like I'm a relatively smart person, but I just, it just didn't interest me. But what I did find was I liked numbers and business and organizing things. And so there was actually a few of us who were also groomed for engineering that went the business route, right? Okay. So, but there was a point where I realized when I got to Howard, even though I had the African-American studies experience at Berkeley High, we weren't really groomed to think about the social sciences in terms of as majors. You know, you think about when you're a a kid, oh, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, you know. So when I got to Howard and I started taking the classes in the diaspora and the sociologies um, and um, I don't know if I even took an anthropology class at Howard or not. Maybe I didn't. So it just opened up my mind because one of the things that I thought was that I was going to go to graduate school for African African studies. Oh, okay. So I, I, I had this intent where at one point I was like, oh, I'm going to get an MBA, JD from from um, Berkeley, from Bolt Law School. You know, because this is the grooming. This is what other mm-hmm. people are telling you what you should aspire for. And then there was a point where I started to realize my own interests and the mm-hmm. things that I wanted to um, kind of work on. Pursue. And yeah, exactly. Thank you. And pursue. And so um, I applied to Temple for their African Studies Department, um, was expecting to get in, waiting to the last minute. And at the last minute, like after graduation, found that I didn't get accepted. And I'm like, wait a minute, that was my plan. So I ended up, you know, moving up to New York, New Jersey, hanging out, um, you know, just living that life and having that experience. Um, I was there for about 10 months. And eventually... I moved to Atlanta. I actually got a job doing statistics and some kind of underwriting and accounting for a mortgage company, you know. Um, and then I was looking at graduate school in Atlanta. 
Um, but yeah, so one of the things was just that I wanted to own a bookstore when okay. I got my, <laughs> I wanted to own a bookstore and then I actually got a chance to work at a bookstore and I was like, oh, this is the, oh, no, I need more than that. <laughs> it's like the library in here. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting because I, you know, it literally is this idea of like, you are young, you're, you have these ideas for yourself, but you also don't have enough experiences to really know what you want to do. Yeah. You think you know, and then you start to live, and you start having these classes, you start to have exposure. Life and it, happens. Yeah. Life happens, and then it starts to kind of like come together. And I think that really was my experience. Even yeah. from going from the African studies to sociology, mm -hmm. I'm like, sociology, was that's what I've always wanted. I just didn't know what it was. What it was called, yeah. yeah. Interesting enough, so when I first moved here, so it was right after May, um, after my birthday, so I was working, I was dating someone um and um yeah I think I was just yeah taking it all in just I was working full time yeah yeah and it, and it wasn't that I wasn't doing anything but it was just that I was working full time I lived out in Stone Mountain so I was really far away from everything you know I would get out and explore the city make friends and I started meeting people um the mortgage company right after 9-11 the mortgage company and you know the subprime lending and, mm -hmm. and all that was happening mm -hmm. Um, they closed, and that's when I was unemployed, mm -hmm. and I started doing hair again. And that's when I revamped the nappy parlor. So you said again. When did you start? So I've, I've you know, it's one of those things, those people who, like, type papers for, for money when they're in high school <laughs> and college. I did hair. And, <laughs> and so, we'll do hair for change. <laughs> exactly, right? So I did that in, in high school. I did it in college. Um, and even in college, because I, I, I worked full-time in college. Like, I actually was a assistant manager of various retail stores. I always worked. I've worked since I was in high school. I worked wow. at a bookstore in high school. I've worked retail. So I've always worked. Um, and But there were times where um, it was time for finals or, or midterms and my job would not give me time off. And I'm like, I'm a college student. And there, there were different times where I've had to quit a job because I'm like, I have to study. Mm -hmm. And um, I would just rely upon the hair, mm -hmm. you know, doing hair as my mm -hmm. income. So I think by my last year at Howard, I was just doing hair full time. Wow. Yeah. And so when I went to, when I moved to New York, to New York, Jersey, I didn't, I wasn't doing hair. And so okay. that's what I mean. Like I stopped doing hair. And so then after I moved to Atlanta and the job didn't, you know, we, the business closed, I needed income, and I was an after hairstylist. I was fast, and I started doing hair again. You revamped Nappy Parlor. That's an interesting name. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about it after the break. Okay. Hey, if you're just joining, the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Tara Taylor, sociologist, professor, and proprietor of the Nappy Parlor, a natural hair care salon based in Atlanta's Western District. Oh, what a feeling to own a Toyota. Low price is a good feeling. Oh, what a feeling to own a Toyota. Durability is a great feeling. Oh, what a feeling. Value and style. Good gas mileage is a terrific feeling. What a feeling, mile after mile. Oh, what a feeling to drive. Toyota, Toyota. Dependability feels great. Oh, what a feeling. is a fine feeling. Oh, what a feeling to think that you're just bought. A truck that will give you everything and more. A car that will give you what you're asking for. A Toyota is a good feeling. Oh, what a 
If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Dr. Tara Taylor, sociologist, professor, and proprietor of the Nappy Parlor, a natural hair care salon based in Atlanta's West End. So welcome back, Tara. She said I can call her Tara. Yes. Everyone else has to call you Dr. Taylor, though, right? No, not everybody else. I recorded your dissertation, like your defense. You did, yeah. I was like on the front row. You were. You you handled that. I, I, I'm so appreciative. I mean, there was stuff that I completely forgot about the experience. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't have even known it happened. It took us a while to find the video. Did we ever find it? I don't think we ever found the video. <laughs> It's okay. I but I did push record. It. You did. <laughs> the, the main thing was that you navigated the people who were virtual. Like yes, you with their questions yes, and all that. I really yeah. appreciated that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get back on this nappy parlor, Yes, which is like the hottest natural hair care salon <laughs> in the Southeast. Oh. You're much bigger than Jalja. Oh. You're much bigger than the West End, which, and that's difficult, right? Because the West End carries so much culture. Mm -hmm. The West End carries the Atlanta University Center, the illustrious Atlanta University Center, mm -hmm. which houses, you know, the Morehouse Colleges of the World, the Spelman Colleges. We have ITC. We have Morehouse School of Medicine. We have Morris Brown. We have the Interdenominational Theological <laughs> Seminary. But, you know, what we really have is that anchor. That anchor. What is the anchor? University. Name? Clark Atlanta <laughs> University. We are the anchor because we're a university people. And, and AUC, you're welcome. You're welcome. Shout out to the whole AUC. You're welcome. CAU, that's where it's at. So my grandmother went to Clark College. Oh. My mom went to Clark College. Oh, yes. your and I, I am. And I graduated Clark Atlanta University. Oh. University. University, I heard it. Mm -hmm. I was also Miss Freshman Morehouse. Oh, what, yes. what, what? But, but I will say this, just a shameless plug. The best thing about attending Clark Atlanta is that you are actually a student at the Atlanta University Center. Because you can take classes yeah, at all of the, the institutions. Yeah, it's... It's the biggest bang for your buck. So I did my minor. It actually started at Morehouse. It was Japanese studies. And then it moved to Spelman. They got the new Cosby Center. Yes. And so the, the program went there. And I, my minor is actually housed at Spelman. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and I did, like in my last year, I did independent study. Most of it was at Spelman. I'm waiting um, to have students um, cross-register. So They've got to take advantage. Yeah, I cannot wait. So right now, um, my my first year teaching, I've only had more houses, which is f fine. Mm -hmm. But I definitely want to have the the AUC consortium experience where yeah. you have students coming from the different colleges yeah. and universities. Great segue. You're uh -huh. now at Morehouse. Yes, I am. But prior to Morehouse, where were you? Um, I taught at Georgia State. I taught at Oglethorpe and I taught at Kennesaw State. So Georgia State is where I got my master's and PhD. And so my first teaching experience was in 2015 mm -hmm. and it was a graduate teaching experience. Um, but I later um, left and went to Kennesaw and taught part-time, um, returned to Georgia State, got a, um, was basically um, was hired as a visiting lecturer, mm -hmm. pandemic hit. And so, you know, budget cuts. <laughs> and, um, you know, so they couldn't renew my contract for the following year. Kennesaw got wind that I was free. They was like, hey, we got these classes. We'll take you. You will take you, right? And then a colleague was at um, Orglethorpe, and they also needed someone to teach online. And so it was really crazy because, you know, I was teaching like seven classes at one point. I um, think the record was like nine. It was seven. <laughs> it's still, that's seven still that, a lot, right? Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, but, yeah, so... So my position now at Morehouse, I'm actually an assistant professor. So I'm not part time. I'm not adjuncting. Like I'm in my career, and it, it it's, it's 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 exciting. Yeah. It's very and to be at an HBCU, it's yeah. exciting. But before we get to that, right? Yeah. And I'm going to backtrack. Yes, the Nappy your, Parlor. Well, no, your 
your dissertation topic. Oh, yeah. And then we're going to tie it into the nappy parlor. Okay, sounds good. So so let's first start with your thesis topic, right, on so school. Yes, so yes. my master's thesis. Master's thesis. So correct. my master's thesis was, um, was on black families at homeschool. Yeah. Um, and so when I actually started my sociology program, I was interested in looking at the educational disparities um, in terms of like black children's experiences with public schools and private schools. And um, I, I realized that I everyone had written about it. There was research. I'm like, you know, we research this, we, we have answers, but it's still a problem. Mm-hmm. And so for a paper, it wasn't even meant to be my thesis. For one of my papers, for one of my classes, I wanted to take a different approach. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I want to look at something that people are doing differently in terms of response to, you know, this kind of um, black education disparities, educational gap, right? And I did a paper on black homeschoolers. And the instructor, I think it might have been my theory class, it could have been Adia Harvey Wingfield, she was like, you know, Tara, this is a really good topic. This could be, you know, your master thesis topic. And I thought about it, and I was like, you're right, you know, um, especially because I had another mentor, um, Dr. Christine Thomas, she was in education at, she is in education at Georgia State, and she was colleagues with the late Asa Hillier, rest in peace, Ashe. I got a chance to see um, uh, Dr. Hillier when I was in high school. We cut classes to go see him at UC Berkeley. <laughs> so, look, we were nerds. Kids, do it for the right reason. I'm not saying don't do it, just... Do it for the right reasons. He cut classes. He was like, he's always speaking up at UC Berkeley. Nerds. When nerds, listen, when nerds cut class, I swear (laughs) the administration rejoices. Because it's like, yeah, they're representing us. It's okay. It's okay. When when everyone else cuts class, it's like, oh, God, they're representing us. (laughs) Exactly. So Dr. Thomas was conveying that. Um, you know, Dr. Asa Hilliard said that we needed to start focusing on solutions and stop focusing on problems, right? And that completely shifted my perspective in terms of how I was going to approach sociology. I was like, approach it from this perspective of agency, resilience. You're going to have to talk about the problem, but Mm -hmm. you don't center the problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's how my my master's thesis came Mm -hmm. to be, because Mm -hmm. I was looking at, here are black families who are homeschooling. They are basically asserting their agency in terms of, um, you know, addressing, you know, what I thought were maybe their concerns about public schools. What we found is that some of it, what I found was some of it definitely had to deal with the experiences that their children were having in public schools in terms of, you know, um, discrimination and race. But some of it was also centered around ideas around family, you know, the idea that black families um, the mothers, you know, had gone to college, they had gotten their MBAs, and they wanted to be stay-at-home mothers, and they wanted to raise their children, they wanted to pour into them. And that was really dynamic, because it wasn't completely what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of really shifted the narrative, too, because it also let me know, like, we we want to have full lives. We don't always want to be putting out fires. Some things we want to do because we just want to live and make choices that we think are going to be wholeheartedly in these roles as mothers, fathers, caretakers, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so my master's thesis was on black families at homeschool, um, and it was pretty fun. It, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty fun um, di- um, thesis. Two years later, you're defending 
to... No, it was much years later. Much, you had to... <laughs> I like that. Much years later. Much years later. Retake. <laughs> <laughs> many years much, later. Many, <laughs> many years later. Yeah, we're educated. We know better. It's not much years later. I was like, many years later. You gave dissertation. me too much credit. <laughs> Two years later? <laughs> I wish. What was your dissertation topic? Um, my dissertation topic, don't, don't make me try to remember the title. I can't even think of my title. So basically my dissertation was looking at, um, the natural hair movement. Yeah. Um, so, so this was a topic that I was running from doctor. Once again, Dr. Christine Thomas mentor, um, for my master's thesis, she actually tried to get me to look at the natural hair, you know, the phenomenon of natural hair. And her, her point was that as a natural hair stylist, I had, I was privy to the narratives of black women Mm -hmm. and in terms of doing research. And I was more concerned about being pigeonholed as in terms of being this natural hair person and then my sociological research being all about hair. And so I, 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 you know, I ran from it and I was still very much obsessed with, you know, looking at education, race and education. So fast forward, the language around natural hair shifted. I had been doing natural hair since the 90s and they were now referring to it as a movement. I remember, you know, some of the first natural hair shows that I participated in as a stylist, oftentimes we would have to have these sessions where women, it was like it was therapy, where they were crying about Mm -hmm. their experiences. And now we're at this other place where professional women, doctors, lawyers, um, you know, this hair movement language. And I was like, there is something going on and it's very different than what it was. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I can do this. Yeah. And and that's where it came from. I, it came from having access, me also having the personal experience, I guess the kind of autoethnographic experience of being a hairstylist, having carried other people's narratives and saying, yes, something has changed and it is different and it is very much worth researching, analyzing and writing about. So what what came of your what became of your research? What did you what did you find? What did you learn? Oh my gosh. So, you know, um, it's really interesting because a dissertation really can be this huge thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have publications that are coming out. Um, do I have some that are already out on already? I might. Yeah, I have some that are in press. Um, That's what, wait, did you say in press? Yes. That's so fancy. <laughs> in press. <laughs> um, I have, so some of the things, like there's one that I'm about to work on now, a chapter. So, you know, what happens is you have these findings and um, you can write a book, you can write articles you can do so much with it your dissertation is a book it is it's technically a book so so you're saying you could tease out chapters and have like almost like an anthology where you go a little deeper into those sections yeah and or you can because there's the the other thing about it is that your dissertation you think about the audience that you're Mm -hmm. writing for you're with a dissertation and the thesis you're trying to demonstrate like look i can i know how to do research i know methodology i know how to analyze you're trying to um demonstrate yeah that Mm -hmm. i know how to do this Mm -hmm. there's also a point when you get on the other end where you have something to say and you take control as the uh, the authoritative voice scholar in that right but there's also a point too where you found out something mm-hmm. and you you want to honor the narratives you want to you want to honor the research and you want to get it out so there's sometimes you want to get it out to other scholars sometimes you want to get it out to maybe agencies or you know who might make policies mm-hmm. or you want to get it out in op-eds for people everyday people to learn about their experience and to see it kind of in this maybe scientific way mm-hmm. or this relevant way mm-hmm. um, and so you can write one book or you can tease it out and you know send it to these different publications and these different um, mediums yeah. to, per se yeah that's pretty awesome so I, I don't know much about life after you defend. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> life after you defend, it's just 
gray. Because it's some, like you said, there's so many ways that you can go. So do most kind of go and get like a, educate me, do they get a publicist to help them mm-hmm. to think? Because I imagine there's so many ways to get information out. No. You don't. You it's, don't have a publicist. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah. You're just on your own. Yeah. So typically what happened, well, I shouldn't say typically. Um, so the thing is, is that when you're in graduate school, you're also grooming yourself the whole time. You're being groomed. You're a part of, I didn't ha- actually have this experience because I was a little bit of non-traditional graduate student because I had a business. You know, at one point I was married, divorced. I It's almost like the non-traditional student, sure. right? So there were, you know, there's some people who are graduate students who are probably in their 20s, maybe yeah. early 30s, and they're able to be a part of these organizations and clubs and do these internships, right? And there's this constant grooming. Um, I had some of that. And so the thing that helped me was the fact that I had really great research that was publishable and that I could write. And so that basically allowed me um, to kind of, yeah, you know, create this space of recognition, right? Mm -hmm. So typically, you know, not everybody who gets a PhD wants to go the route of academia. Typically in sociology, we do. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I have colleagues who they work for the CDC, Mm -hmm. NIH. You know, they, they, they have no interest of being professors, right? So, but typically for someone who went the route that I go is that, you know, you finish your dissertation and even before you finish your dissertation, you're interviewing, you're trying to get a job at a college or a university. Um, You know, some people, what they may have the you know, the bandwidth to do is maybe publish from some previous research beforehand mm-hmm. or at least have it sent out or they present it at conferences mm-hmm. so that they're creating this kind of um, trail of um, work, the work that they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, so for me, what was very helpful was the fact that I did teach. Um, I taught some upper level classes and I, I was publishing, you know, so that kind of helped me. There, There's still much more I could have done, yeah. but, um, you know, I did some things. So on top of all of that, you still maintain the nappy parlor, which is quite a feat. Yes. Let's now focus on a nappy parlor. Yes. How many heads have been served? You know, like McDonald's (laughs) said, (laughs) a billion burgers served. People always ask me that. And it's really interesting because I'm one of the few stylists that actually have, you know, I have a client profile that I have people fill out. Maybe you remember this. My mother fusses about it. It's out of control. Out of control. I, I was groomed at Howard University in the School of Business. So I was like, I, just do my hair. No, like I have a client profile. So it's crazy. Like I've seen like the hard copies. Yeah. And I mean, like there's hundreds, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and you just any any given week, how many people can I serve? You know, it's changed now because I'm teaching. Yeah. Um, but I mean, 50, 100, 100. I mean, right now I don't, I'm not actively um, styling a hundred people, right? No, over over the life of of Nappy Parlor, how hundreds. many unique heads have you? Hundreds, hundreds, wow, hundreds from from DC to Atlanta. I have people who are in other places, like other states, that I've gone and done like workshops yeah. and styled their hair. Um, I have people who come in from out of state to Atlanta yeah. to get their hair done. I mean, and just the the number of years that I've been doing natural hair, it's been almost thirty years. Yeah. Hundreds of people. Yeah. I would imagine that you have a strong team. What, you have like 30 stylists with you? It's a team of one. A team of one. <laughs> and, oh. and, you, and you got your master's. Oh, and you got your doctorate. Yeah. I've, I've had and help. And you've traveled. I have. I've, I've had help along the way. So I have had 
business managers, yeah. including yourself. <laughs> um, uh, Mariah Wells was a phenomenal business manager. There were times where I've actually, because I'm also a master cosmetologist. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a master cosmetologist. There were times where I attempted to apprentice stylists in natural hair care, and they came in my space, and they worked with me. Um, but for the most part, I have been a team of one. Yeah. Yeah, personalized service. Um, you know, it actually gave me a greater appreciation for one, the home-based business, but also the micro business, particularly for people who do not have a large amount of a startup money, a yeah. capital. You yeah. know, um, so I've been very, very grateful um, for what it's done for me. But even what it's inspired others. A friend, he he's he has a home-based gym. He's a personal trainer and does martial arts, and he he always. Um, acknowledges that he got the idea from coming to my hair salon yeah and he realized that he could do it so that's that makes me feel pretty good too. that's huge yeah there's a lot of controversy mm-hmm. online about you and the nappy parlor is there controversy yeah there is there is <laughs> and and you know I, my team and i did our research your team of one the, well, you know just just like the nappy parlor has endured over 20 years on a team of one others can do it too children listen the lesson here you can do it as well so there's a lot of controversy you know there's i mean i i haven't picked a side yet um but i definitely have to share with you there's this you know this controversy around these five-star ratings now i i just want the audience to know that i i have nothing to gain from this this is not a no one's paying me to say this but no one's paying me to hate and i'm not hating i'm only sharing that's what we do here at small talk big names Uh Um, so, so there's a, you know, the, the public wants to know these five star ratings that you seem to get. I mean, even when, even when the shop is, you know, when a nappy parlor is closed for business for like a weekend, you get a five star rating pops up, you know, when the dog sneezes, a five star rating pops up and, and they always tend to be, you know, they always tend to accompany some sort of comment that's like, oh, you know, Great customer service, or Tara's <laughs> awesome, or you know, you name it. And and I I under I just want you to know I'm not judging, and I understand where the questions are coming from. What questions? It just sounds very bot like. It's it's like these fi- bots bots like yeah. You know <laughs> you know you know it's it's like you go to a restaurant and they say everything is homemade, but then everybody's biscuit looks the same, right? It's the same shape, the same size. That's not homemade. That is heated up. That's somebody heated. Somebody sent that over here frozen. And you heated up. So, you know, most of the public, not me, are expecting sprinklings of, you know, I don't know, maybe today was not a good day or, yeah, there was just too much noise or da, da, da. But then yours always, it's like, it's always so positive. I almost feel like you are reading them before you let people publish. Like, do you, do you, I know you're, you're an educator. So are you like, Hey, I can, I can help you edit your comments. I don't even, half the time, I don't even realize people are leaving these comments. So one, I will say this. So, you know, some of the, um, the, what do you like the, 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 the money, <laughs> the vendors, right? Yeah. So like um, Square, they you can leave a comment because mm-hmm. these are businesses, right? Yeah. So these are the merchant accounts. Um, Stylesheet is the particular platform that I use to schedule my clients. Mm-hmm. And so they may request, you know, comments. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I believe that some of that is automated through these particular platforms and my clients take the time to do that. Mm-hmm. And there have been people who just recommend me to other folks. Mm-hmm. I mean... So I, I will say this, like, I don't, I don't expect people, I've always been word of mouth. Mm-hmm, sorry. Mm-hmm. I've always been word of mouth. Um, and at the same time, because I have been a home-based hair salon, I've also wanted people not to publicize too much information about me. Yeah. But in this new age of technology, the Yelps and all of these particular LinkedIn and people leaving comments, um, my clients have done that, mm-hmm. you know, and um, 
you know, some people hate, but <laughs> those haters, those how haters. dare they? I, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not always privy to them because I'm not looking, but every now and then I'll get like an email from Stassi, like, Oh, you know, someone made a comment. So I haven't even seen all of them, but I am grateful. Uh, I will say this. Um, I'm timely. I'm very timely. I respect my client's time. I'm fast. Um, it's personal. You know, the experience, when they come in, a person comes in, it's just them with me. Yeah. Um, there, there sometimes there might be an overlap where someone's underneath the dryer. But even with that, um, it doesn't take away from the experience, you know, the products that I use. Um, I'm a person that I actually prefer one-on-one. I notice, like, if there's too many people around, my attention is kind of scattered because I just feel like, you know, how do I give someone my undivided attention? Sure. Um, at the same time, you think about the hair salon, it is a space where people come and they laugh and giggle. And there's been times where I've had a couple of people in the space at one time and I feel like oh I'm doing my clients a disservice because they don't get to have that kind of sisterhood yeah at the same time many of the people that I serve you know sitting down and for you know for an extended like maybe an hour hour and a half two hours that's the first time that they get to just sit yeah and someone is just you know pampering Taking care the, of them. exactly yeah. and sometimes they don't want to have to talk to anybody else you know yeah um I think the other thing too is the fact what what I do talk about with my clients um, it's all over the place from what I read yeah, and I think that's something um, interesting. I don't know if it's just indicative of the natural hair salon, a natural hair space, or the fact that, you know, I'm a sociologist, so the things that we talk about. We, we all feel like your you're, you're research subjects. Like, <laughs> 20 years from now, our kids are going to see our names as a involuntary participant in the survey. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's definitely, you know, we, we talk about self-care. You yeah. know, it's just a very different approach in there. So I think that contributes to some of the positive things. And I think the other thing is um, I've had people let me know when they, they haven't been satisfied with something. And I think the thing about it is that because of our personal relationship, they let me know yeah. as opposed to be like, let me go blast her That's out, right. air yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, now you have this privacy fence mm-hmm. in the nappy parlor. Girl, you talking about Tito <laughs> Jackson. talking about Tito Jackson. <laughs> Tito Jackson is my uh, bird of paradise. He is huge. I think he has to be like eight, nine. My ceilings he's are He's got to be over nine. Yeah, because my ceilings are 10 feet ceilings. So he's about nine, yeah. eight or nine. Yeah. When when I met Tito, he I think his nickname was Little T, right? <laughs> One day I went, I showed up at the nappy parlor and he was like, show me some ID. <laughs> he he's, like, he's like your bouncer. But he's he's stunningly beautiful. He's huge in a good way. Thank you. And he definitely brings um, he he adds to the space. He doesn't take away from the space. So I think he's he's pretty cool. Yeah. Aside from you know when you try to get past him <laughs> to get to the shampoo bowl, I'm telling you, or the it's, hair dryer. It's, he's just he's just in the way. He's he's yeah. <laughs> Like, can you leave some room for the clients? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've covered quite a bit. Yes, yeah. we have. We have. Um, really proud of you here at Morehouse Aww. College. My grandfather's a graduate of Morehouse College. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. My grandfather attended Morehouse with ML King. Really? Yeah. He used to have his first, you know, when he was building up and um, building up the, the movement. Uh-huh. Um, he would have meetings with my grandparents at their house. Aww. Yeah, they, they all called him affectionately ML. Aww. Yeah. And my father went to Hampton, which I think you knew. I won't hold it against him. You know what? <laughs> father went to what some may call the real HU. Uh, no. no, 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 no. I said some. No. Said, why are we doing the, this? It's the why internet. Are we, why are we just, doing this? Just no. like mm-hmm. it's the same it's people not. who's questioning mm-hmm. the five, the five Wait, stars. No, 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 no. Hampton University? Mm-hmm. 
their shirts and sweatshirts say. They used to be Hampton Institute. Oh, oh, you go in there. But you also said real H U, and so you, some say. Listen, the who same are people, these people, the five star people. No, I'm telling you, they're no. all over the interwebs. Mm-hmm. Tara, I don't know, Tara. I don't know, Where but you, you know, I don't pick this? sides. When you're ready, really ready, we'll be there when you are. Delta is ready to fly. Yes, we're ready to fly. High in the sky. Where the sun shines all day, every day. The Delta jets go flying from Atlanta to Europe, Canada, the Bahamas, Bermuda, the Caribbean, and to more than 80 cities in the USA. Other Delta jets are winging home to Atlanta's new terminal, the biggest in the world. Delta is the largest airline at the world's largest terminal, with more ticket counter positions, more boarding gates, more baggage claim units than any other airline, and more flights than any other airline in any other city in the world. Delta is ready. We're ready when you are. Delta is ready. We're ready when you are. When you earned your master's, mm-hmm. I earned my master's. So I own like a share. Of my master's? Okay? Yeah, yeah. So but at you one have point, like five degrees yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. But at one point, um, I saw you, I saw you as a startup. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> and I was like, Everything she does, I want 10%. <laughs> and then I had to pull myself back because I was like, 10% might be a lot. I'll take 1%. So I feel like I've always invested in you as a startup. Yes. And, um, you know, even with Nappy Parlor, you and I joke about, you know, is she from my branch? Is he from my branch? Yeah. But but it, it's really, um, I mean that in an endearing way. Yes. Because, you know, I'm a creature of habit. Mm-hmm. And just so you know, in the audience, if you ever see my hair and you like it, I, I don't know how to not give you her information, but she's no longer taking new clients. So if you hear me say she's no longer taking new clients, just give me the compliment. I'll take it. We can we can shuck and jive. But please don't ask me for her information. Please don't. Because she's not she, taking new clients. And she doesn't know how to say no. I don't know how to say no. And she no. gives my information away. And I away. give her information away. <laughs> and then I try to hide from the truth. Did you give my number? No, ma'am. Are you? Isn't she in the picture with her? No, ma'am. And it's me at the front. <laughs> you have been a, a, a wonderful supporter and you do you do have a tree you have i'm gonna say it on record now yes. um you have referred so many wonderful people do you you refer to you we, we got yeah we, we got all some, do we, have we got some outliers we got some outliers but i mean many of the people that you have referred either are still with me as clients or even become like lifelong friends like yeah. d Wright, mm-hmm. you know chrissy um it's 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 a blessing to be supported, especially when, because when I came to Atlanta, I didn't have anyone. Yeah. And so the idea that, one, these people are my lifelong friends now. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen my growth. I've seen your growth. So I definitely appreciate you. So Absolutely. Much. So so for the record, I own a piece of your master's and I own a piece of that <laughs> dissertation. Okay. Being, being the, the producer of her dissertation recording and also the moderator <laughs> of those who were virtual, it was hell out there, y'all. And, and, I, and I paid for it by receiving my stock. Um, and then, but then also you've, you've stayed true to um, the business principles that mm-hmm. I think you can go to sleep with every night. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about we're in an age where you can have – you can have perceived success overnight. Yes. And all you need is a really great phone. Like my powerful um, iPhone 5S. Beautiful, Wait, powerful. what? That calculator? You're talking about the calculator. No, I'm talking about mine. I'm talking about the phone that I... It's a 5 who? Strong what? language. So, wait, what? Strong language. Yeah, ma'am. 
Dr. Dr. Taylor? Yeah, I'm sorry. You're using very strong language. Okay. I'm starting to get offended. Okay. So if you have a phone like my 5S, you could... No really one has a phone like your... Your grandmother doesn't have a phone like the 5S anymore. But. How do you mute? You're lucky I'm still learning my tools. <laughs> okay. But, but you can have overnight success, right? By doing anything. Mm -hmm. you, could, you could video... You could have someone video you running through a drive-thru. And you can get... It can go viral. Oh, yeah, yeah. And instantly, you're getting calls from Burger King because you ran through their drive-thru and they want you in a commercial, right? And then you start to forget, no, I just really enjoy doing that. Like, I just mm. want to do it that one time. And then you morph into this thing that's a product of everyone else's influence, mm. positive or negative. Yeah. But I feel like the nappy parlor has kind of stayed true to what the nappy parlor is, right? It's yeah. this, the, the nappy parlor, if you don't know, it's a single chair, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's in your home, mm -hmm. nestled in the West End. Mm -hmm. I mean, you live in like those one of those storybook West End communities, mm -hmm. similar to People Street. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows you. People walk your dog for you. The mailman whistles while he or she comes to your house and drops the mail. And, you know, you all don't have mailboxes that stick out. The mailman, like, walks. Yeah, he walks. And he, he puts the mail in, in the mailbox. And you know porch. him. Yeah, and you know him. You know his kids. You probably give him, like, a Christmas gift. I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those communities, those idyllic communities that you're like, I want to I live there. Aww. Then you realize, but everybody knows your name. I don't want that. You don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> and you leave your windows open. Like, you, you have, uh, yeah. because of your plants. For the plants. Yeah. For the plants. So, so I say all that to say you stay true to the original mi mission mm -hmm. of the nappy parlor. Yeah. You've educated men and women on their hair and yes. kids. Yes. You've educated yourself and grown through the craft. Yeah. You've taken it outside of the nappy parlor and you host seminars and symposiums and you do a virtual and you do it on site, which gives you an opportunity yeah. to travel. And you're comfortable talking about hair beyond products. Yes. You know, a lot of people get lost in, you got to get this product or that product. You don't do that. Yeah. I think what I liked about going to the nappy parlor from day one, just like you said, that profile, mm -hmm. you actually took time to learn, to ask me about my hair as opposed to telling me about my hair. Yeah. And then you took time to create some sort of concoction <laughs> that kept me coming back, right? <laughs> my hair, I don't know what happened, y'all. My curl <laughs> pattern had a name and, and my hair had a smell and, and everything made sense all of a sudden and my regions of my head, I understand my hair better than any part of my body. But you took the time to do that and that's what keeps people coming back, yes. right? Yeah. Um, so with that said, we've come to the conclusion of today's show. Is there anything that you'd like the audience to know that we haven't talked about? I feel like we've talked about everything. I do feel like we've talked about everything. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I think the, the last thing that you said, I think it touches on how much I love learning and educating. Right. And so even no matter what it is, you know, and and not that kind of preaching at people, but that excitement about learning something and sharing it and having had other people do that for me and with me throughout my life. Yeah. You know, so I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And you have a garden. I think what we all deserve is a moment where we can just kind of stop being busy just for the sake of busyness. Yeah. And like, what do, what would you enjoy yeah. doing? You know, yeah. And I think that's really where I am, like even as a professor at Morehouse, like. I am loving this experience, yeah. you know, my garden, my plants, you know, um, all of my experiences. I'm really at a place of gratefulness that they are part of my my lived experience right now. Perfect. So, hey, listen again. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Tara Taylor. 
the amazing professor uh, here at Morehouse. This is her first semester, and she's already killing it. You should see her office. If you have office hours for her, just show up. She has, like, candy bars and, and mixed nuts, and she even has insulted, unsalted nuts. So if you have those, if you don't have allergies, you just don't do salt, come here. Um, she is the proprietor of the Nappy Parlor nestled in Atlanta's West End District. She is a accomplished sociologist. She is published. She's available. Where can people find you? What are you know, like they say, what are your socials? Um, TaraTaylor.com is my website. It's pretty much my sociology website. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I rarely tweet unless Amazon walks <laughs> <laughs> on my wet paint. Um, I think my my Twitter handle is Nappy Earth. But before we before we let let you go, Dr. Taylor, who's who's next? Who's going to be next on the Small Talk Big Names podcast? Um, I have a friend, um, Tamika Grooms. She is a phenom, and I think she should be next. Tamika is an engineer by training, but she's an artist. She's a writer. Um, she's a mother muralist. I mean, she is dynamic. But um, she's one of those sister friends where. Um, I got to see her make this kind of leap and journey in terms of going from, you know, that trained profession that you have, this this is my career, mm -hmm. to this is what gives me passion and to see her manifest it. I think she would be a wonderful person to talk to. Hey, Tamika, if you're listening to this, please reach out to the team. That's me and plus the rest of them. We'd love to have you on the Small Talk Big Names podcast. And hey, audience members, if you're interested in hearing from Tamika, let her know. Do you happen to know her socials? So we have TamikaTheArtist.com. Carm.com, Tamika spelled T E M as in Mary I K A, the T H E artist.com. Fantastic. And that's T E M I K A, the artist. All right, guys, see y'all next time. That wraps up another episode of Small Talk Big Names. On behalf of myself and the entire crew, thank you so much for listening and join us next week for another exciting episode of Small Talk Big Names with your host, Niger.